When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. How you doing? Likewise. Everything is cool, man. Can't call it. Everything is all right, you know? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining us, man. This is this is definitely a pleasure. You know, I'll say to the folks, we got a special guest tonight, uh, Sky Zoo. Peace, uh, peace. Longtime friend of AFH. I don't know if you know this, man, but you were one of the first ever interviews that I did for, for, the, for the brand back in 2020. Really? Yeah, A3C. Okay. Backstage, backstage in the green room, literally green. You know, is that <laughs> complex and everything? A literal green room. Yeah. 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 And besides that, I think that you are the only artist to have the distinction of being on our best of list the last three, three times, last three years. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, man. But that's that's a testament to you. That's a testament to what you bring uh with your music including this latest album all the brilliant things which is absolutely amazing man thank you so much man thank you i appreciate it man you know for me it's always great when the people are tapped in right and when i say the people whether it's media whether it's average fan who goes to work every day whether you know whatever it is man i it it's all one thing for me it's not these guys are more important because they got a microphone and a pen and a pad in their hand but these guys are less important because they got to go to work on the trainer it's all the same like you know what i mean i want everybody to love it and relate to it genuinely you know like regardless of your walk of life so you guys saying that means a ton to me you know what i mean and, and i appreciate that all absolutely absolutely great man well uh you know, you said that I got a my my Sky Zoo memory. I was just talking about the other day. Sky, you and I met at 2008 Rock the Bells at Jones Beach. It was like boom, real quick. <laughs> yeah. We were actually with Rhapsody, and I think we had even talked before then, but that was our first face to face. Okay. One of the memories I have is I go to New York to interview Junior Reed. Uh, I think I was actually doing like a press bio on him or something, and mm-hmm. I had an extra ticket to Hip Hop Honors because that was when it was taping. So Mm -hmm. I bring Junior Reed as my plus one to Hip Hop Honors, and you were right outside Hammerstein, sitting on a mailbox, like super hip hop, and I ran up on you because we had just met like two months before, and you've always been great to me, man. Oh, man, thank you. You know what I probably was doing out there, sitting on the mailbox, handing out mixtapes. Word. I guarantee (laughs) that's what I was doing. You know what I mean? That was the era. That was the era. That's what I did, man, from 02 up until like 08, 09. That's what I did, man. I went to every concert, every venue, every show, everything. And I just stood outside and handed my joints out for free. Yo, here, here, take it, take it. And, you know, the dudes would always sell them for 5 $10. I never understood that because I'm like, yo, nobody knows what's on that tape. That's like mm-hmm. you go in a store and somebody hands you a bag and say, yo, $20 for this bag. Yo, what's in it? Uh, don't worry about it. Just $20 for this bag and the contents in it. Like, what yeah. you talking about? Like, so I would always give my joints out for free, man. So that's 100% what I was doing for sure. Man, shout out to you, though, because as, to Reggie's point, like, here you go from giving it away to three years in a row. I mean, top of the game, you know, A1. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. Great place to start. You know, all the brilliant things plays like a love letter to Brooklyn. 
one with fond memories and, and concerns about what the future holds. From your music and our conversations over the years, I know how much BK means to you. Can you talk about the decision to relocate, even if it was just a temporary thing? It was because of my son. Um, just, you know, I always said if, if if I wasn't having my son, I would still be in the sty right now. You know what I mean? I would be on Quincy or for Marcy, like right now. You know what I mean? Like that, because that was the last place I lived before I moved. Um, once my son was on the way, I was like, yeah, we got to go. You know, because I knew what um, I knew what Brooklyn was doing. But also just like, as much as I talk about how, how Brooklyn was, obviously there's a lot of heinous, heinousness that comes with it, right? And it was a lot of things that I didn't want to raise my son around to that extent, you know? So it was just like, as much as I love Brooklyn and I love New York and I love going to the corner store for turkey, bacon, egg and cheese, and I love, you know, our playgrounds don't have grass, they got rubber, you know what I mean? Like all those things about New York that I want my son to experience, you know, the building I lived in, the, the building right behind it, you know, they'd be letting off. And, and the apartment I had was on the first floor. So I'm like, if my son is in this back room and they let off and something fly through here accidentally, it's going to be the biggest problem ever in life. You know, so things like that. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to provide my son, my family, my whiz, you know, with, with a better life. You know, so we came to Atlanta, bought a five bedroom house, three floors, man cave basement, backyard, the whole deal. You know what I mean? I, I grill on a Tuesday because it's a Tuesday, not because it's the 4th of July. You know what I mean? Where yeah. New York, you grill because it's the 4th. You grill because it's Memorial Day. In Atlanta, you grill because it's a day of the week and you just grill. You know, so just a, a better way of life. Yeah, so how has Atlanta changed your perspective on Brooklyn? It hasn't changed it much because everything I realized when I moved down here, I kind of already knew like the rent and all that and versus the mortgage and, you know, my mortgage for the house I just described to you is pretty much, if not a few dollars less than what my rent was in best style for a two bedroom living behind a building where they let off every night. Mm -hmm. It's insane. You know what I'm saying? So, but I knew that already because my pops was down here for 15 years. Like my pops moved down here about 15, 16 years ago. And, um, I didn't want to move. And at, when he moved, I think I was in my early twenties. So I didn't have to move. I was grown. So it was like, I'm not leaving. Like I'm, I'm staying here, you know? So I knew what Atlanta had to offer. Cause I would come down every year for holidays, two, three times a year, then a three C like you said, you know, and all those different things. So I would be in Atlanta like three, four times a year, every year. So I knew what the differences were and okay, this is what's, what it's like down there. This is what it's like in New York and the pros and cons of both. So I already knew what I was walking into. So, you know, on a tour of the neighborhood, you talk about people rapping in Brooklyn who don't even live there. Are mm -hmm. you seeing Brooklyn t-shirts down there? <laughs> you know what's crazy about down here? It's so many New Yorkers that live down here, man. It's crazy because so many people had the same theory I had. It seems like Atlanta is the place where everybody wants to move to. Like, I wouldn't be mad if people from Atlanta felt the way, the way I feel about Brooklyn. They might feel that way about everybody else. Like, yo, all of y'all are coming here. So you meet people down here from Detroit. New York, LA, Chicago, DC, Baltimore, like everywhere. You know what I mean? Like you go to a Nick game, it's 70% blue and orange in the crowd. You know what I mean? When it's the Knicks versus the Hawks down here, it's crazy. So, you know, it just shows you what a wonderful way of life Atlanta has to offer. But um, but but on that record too, on tour the neighborhood, I really was talking about how like ever since back in the 80s, no matter where you went, if you said, where Brooklyn at in a party, everybody would go off, even if it was people that had never been from there. Then you add into the fact that, you know, being from up the block from Biggie, that was it. 
you know, big was the biggest thing moving, no pun intended, because we was just coming off of a West Coast run. You know, we was just coming off a run where Dre and Snoop and Death Row was murdering it and it was crazy and the music was incredible, but there was nothing from the home that birthed hip hop in a long time that was really, really ringing. You know, the Wu was still new. Um, you know, Mep as a solo artist was just starting to come out. So it still was very new for us as a city and a region. And Big just came in on a mainstream level and just took it over on, on every level from the streets to the, you know, the radio to everything. So you really had people wanting to be from Brooklyn. You really had people talking about St. James. You really had people listening to Warning and being like, you know, up in Prospect, like, oh, where that at? You know what I mean? Like you had all that stuff starting to happen. So that's what I meant on that line because that record is... The idea was a couple, it was like a, a, you know, a male and female couple looking at apartments in my neighborhood and going on a tour of the neighborhood, looking at apartments, like meeting with a realtor and looking at apartments and looking at the neighborhood because they wanted to move in. And this is me taking them on that tour or like, oh yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. This is what the neighborhood was. Mm-hmm. Like the way you think it is, it wasn't this. This is what it was. And it has the potential to be that at any moment. You know, and a lot of it is because of the changes and us being tired of it. So that's what the record, that's why it's called a tour of the neighborhood. It's a couple walking through. And that's why at the end, I end it the way I say, um, you get the picture, salute to you. You don't, but this is home. Well, shit, do I got a stoop for you? Let's do it, Duke. Like, sit down and have a, a seat on this stoop where all these other things used to happen. You know, so that that's what all that's about. Word, it's dope. Besides the uh, turkey, bacon, egg, and cheese, what are some of the things you miss the most? Uh, just in general about like the old New York or you mean just not living there no more? Yeah. I mean, not living there. Not, not, I mean, just the, the everyday Brooklyn that, that, you know, and is, is so yeah, much a just, part of you. Um, the convenience is always great. I mean, I think that's what New York thrives off of the convenience. You know, you got people who don't have a license and they're 80 years old and they've been living in New York their whole life. You yeah. know what I mean? Like take the train, take the bus everywhere, get your groceries, go to church, do whatever, you know, the convenience is always great. Just the vibe of the city, you know, the aura of the city, man. And, and, and it's really the most special place in the world, regardless of what it's changed into, regardless of how much I love Atlanta. And I'm super grateful for Atlanta welcoming me in with open arms. Like it's been nothing but love. I walk around, you know, little five points or, whatever i'm in bucket it's love yo sky zoo yo what's up yo you down here now it's love man like they treat me like i'm one of their own but you know it's never gonna be no place like home um the convenience and uh just the vibe of the city but that's what's dying and that's what i'm talking about on the record that vibe is dying man like my neighborhood was crooklyn meets uh do the right thing like that was my neighborhood my whole life you know what i mean you knew everybody everybody knew you you did the same things every day you know, it'd be a little fight here, there, old dude sitting on the corner with a beer, ain't harming nobody. They just kicking jewels back and forth, drinking a brew. Old man, like the mayor walking down the block. We literally had a dude on my block. I talk about him on Soft Eyes. Uh, it was a dude named Kelly. When I say rest in peace to Kelly, it was a dude named Kelly who was just like the mayor. You know, he was a six four old guy, homeless, lived on the street, but he would drop jewels for everybody. He would sing Motown records at the top of his lungs. I got sunshine, like walking down the block. And, you know, he had his issues, you know, he was addicted, but this man was sweet the entire block. The block was spotless. You know what I mean? This man, if, if it snowed, he would shovel the entire block by himself. This man, the block would be spotless. You know, like that was Kelly. You know what I mean? And Kelly got killed protecting the neighborhood. He was a homeless dude who was protecting the neighborhood and got killed. 
you know, so he got shot up by some young kids. So, um, you know, we had all that. Like, he was the mayor. It just, instead it was liquor, it was rocks, you know what I mean? But we, you know, we had our own mayor, you know? So all those types of things, man, I miss all that. Yeah, that's like the mayor on um, Do the Right Thing, you know, Ozzy Davis's character. That's what I'm saying, yeah, yep. So, you know, you talked about a tour of the neighborhood. In that, you got a reference to Penny Hardaway, and I see the jersey in the background. Know it, you know it. And you got L.L. Scratch on that, too, at the end. Yeah. Both of those, you know, both Hardaway and L.L. Scratch were kind of at their peak powers in that 94, 95 era. So, you know, that was probably your coming of age. Like, I got to imagine like 12, 13, something like that around that time. So you talk about how that time period shaped you? I think 95 is the greatest year ever. Every day I'm like, yo, if I had one wish, like uh, Macaulay Culkin on that cartoon Wish Kid, if I had, he had like three wishes or something he could make, one of them would be, yo, take me back to 95. Just take me back to 95 just for like a month. Take me back to, to like... May, June of 95, yo, that was the greatest year ever, man, from the fashion to the music to the neighborhood to what I was doing at 13 years old running around. It just was the greatest year ever, man. Like, all the best hip-hop came out that year or, like, a few months before it, so that was the year that it was taking off. Man, 95 was everything, man. That That is the year, without a doubt. And it shaped me as a writer. It shaped me as a man. It shaped me... Uh, the values that I have and the way I move and, and the way I see things definitely as a writer. I talk about 95 without saying 95, you know, all the time here and there in my music. Like I talk about Penny and, you know, I j- just the different, I talk about big and junior mafia and bad boy, all that's 95, man. Like it just shaped so much that we may not even realize, you know, even if you're not from New York, outcast, all that, like 95 was it, man. That, that was the year. Yo. And I noticed that you revisit a lot of samples from that era on the album too. It's like sneaks, right? Not the whole songs, just like snippets, like in and out intros, outros. Was that intentional too? Yeah, but not to really rep 95, more so just whatever fits the the tone of the record, you know? So I, I may slip something here or there because it fits the tone, but then it just so happens that the tone is me kicking it about certain things that happened in 95, you know? I mean, you go back to music for my friends, that whole thing is about emotions and stuff that was happening in 95 because it's when I was 13 years old, you know? So it's not to be stuck on a year. My thing always was make the music as if that, like the the sound that was popping at the time and that was running the radio and running the streets as if it never died and it just continued to grow up. That's what my music is. I don't make music to pretend it's 94, 95 all over again, because I think that's silly. Mm-hmm. I make music, whereas if that sound continued to grow and 20 something years later, it's an adult and it's just thriving and it's, it's, it's at its prime. Like that's, that's the way I approach my music, not to retro it, but to continue to let it grow and elevate. On, uh, on St. James Liquors, you say first rhyme, I was nine, but rhymed like I was cornered tied. What happened that expanded your worldview later? Just always looking out the window and always seeing what was going on on the street. You know what I mean? Like my first time rhyming, man, you know, I, a lot of people know the story. I saw AJ Nothing But A Number, uh, Chi Ali. You know, I, I saw the video on Video Music Box, Ralph McDaniels and all that. And um, the minute the video went off, I told my mother, I said, Ma, that's what I want to do. And I pointed at the TV. Hmm. And she was like, do it go for it you know like she supported whatever I could have said I wanted to 
live on the moon at nine years old. She would have been like, sure, go for it. You know what I mean? So when I said that, she was like, yeah, do it. So people ask me, when did you take it serious? And I'm like, when I was nine. You know, like I took it serious from day one. It was, For me, it wasn't a joke. It was like, this is what I want to do. And the first rhyme I wrote after that went off, it was about looking out the window. So it was probably, I don't remember it, but it was some simple rhyme about just looking out the window. And we lived on the 18th floor. You know, my mom's building was, we was on the 18th floor in the project. So we was up high and I could just look out the window and see the basketball court. And then we had a view. You could look all the way down and see Manhattan. And then you could look down on the street and, and see the dudes with the Jeeps and the Audis and the Saabs sitting outside shooting dice and drinking and, you know, the fly jackets and the girls walking by. So, you know what they into. Then you see the basketball courts. And then, you know, if I had to go to the store for my mother, the store was across the street. Literally, she could look out the window and watch me from the 18th floor, watch me cross the street. But so much would happen in that little two minutes going down the elevator, across the street, coming back. So much would happen in two, three minutes. Like you could see a little something happening in the store. You could see something happening in the elevator. You could see the kids in the lobby tagging the wall. You could see the kids outside on the bench smoking. And so much was happening in that little span. It was more than enough for me to write about. I mean, I've been rhyming. I've been making records since what like I guess the first things I really put out was like oh five oh six and mm-hmm. I ain't run out of content yet <laughs> I mean because I saw so much I ain't run out of content yet I I still got way more to talk about because it was so much to see is it true that you really did aspire to be in junior mafia I mean especially with that proximity yeah not in a sense of like running up on them and trying to audition but just in a sense of like you see those guys and you like damn like they made it they right there we could touch them you know like you know we would be sitting on the on the stoop you know trading basketball cards and little kim would walk by like that was normal because they was from our neighborhood you know we would go to the store and get you know chicken wings and french fries from kennedy and you know little c's would be standing there you know rolling a blunt you know what i mean with the rest of junior mafia or big would be right there they would be leaning on the whip talking and smoking and we the little bad kids walking by that that they would be like yo look at little badass kids like that was us you know what i mean we was 10 11 12 13 and big was 20 something starting to blow you know so it wasn't in the sense of like auditioning for them or nothing like that but you aspire to hang out with the older guys you know like on rich rhetoric and I said, I ain't tie a lace on my sneakers since I was 10. All the inspiration I needed was by the bench. 18 looked like 30 to fifth graders and smell like Dior Fahrenheit and Philly papers. You know, like that's the scene right there. Boom. The first four bars, like you already see what I'm doing. When you're 10 years old, an 18 year old seems like a 30 something year old. You know, they seem so yeah. much older than you. And, you know, I, they never tied their sneakers. So from that point on, I never tied my sneakers. You know what I mean? Like to this day, I don't tie my sneakers. It's just, yeah. it's in my blood, you know? And then, you know, when you walk by, it smelled like Dior Fahrenheit cologne and Phillies. Cause in 94, 95, 92, whatever. Yeah. 92, I was 10. Um, had smoked Phillies. It wasn't smoking Dutchess back then. Dutchess came later. You know what I mean? So it's just those little things where if you really do the math, you're like, yeah, I get it. It's a right? visceral image. Yeah. Phillies. Right, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it looked like 30 to fifth graders and it smelled like Dior Fahrenheit and Philly papers. So now you get the whole scene of where I'm going with it. Mm. Well, speak, speaking of scenes, man, the album cover has got a really like dope depiction. You know, and I, I, I've been spending a fair amount of time in bed style lately. So I know that yeah. corner, that market. Absolutely. What is the, it looks like a, a father and his son. It's yes, so- me and my son. It's you and your son. Okay, so what are you what are you telling them when you when when you're um showing them that building? I'm showing them what they did 
what they took from us. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, look at this. You see this? And he's only three, you know? So that was kind of the, the beauty of how I wanted to do it. Just him being so young and me letting him know now, yo, look, like, look at what they doing. This, it wasn't like this before, you know, uh, kind of like that scene in boys in the hood when Trey had, um, uh, not Trey, uh, when Furious had Trey and Ricky meet him in Compton. Yeah. Like, you see this? You see mm-hmm. this billboard? What does that word say? Gentrification. It's kind of like that. You know, that that's kind of the, the same thing I was going for without even really thinking about Boys in the Hood at the time. But ironically, that's kind of where it goes. Um, and originally, that was going to be a photo shoot. So I, I was in New York. It was February 2019. No, February 2020. And I was working on the album. And um, I'm walking down Fulton Street. And... I just stopped and froze. And I walked down that block a million times in my life. I can't count the amount of times I walked down that block. But it was the first time I noticed that particular corner being changed so dramatically and how it used to be a supermarket and blah, blah, blah. And, all different. and I was like, yo, what is going on? I took out my phone and I just took a picture of it. Took one picture and I said, I got to do something with that. So then a couple of days later, I said, yo, man, when, when, when I go back home, I got to set it up for me and Miles to come back. Miles is my son for me and Miles to come back and take a picture in front of this. Like that would be really crazy. And that would be the cover. And then COVID hit. Mm. So we couldn't travel. So I was like, well, I want to use that same idea. I got to pull that off somehow. And I was like, well, what if I just had it illustrated and, you know, it became kind of an animation, came a cartoon or a painting or whatever. And I got in, I got a hold of um, the artist. His name is Matt Rockefeller. And he's an amazing illustrator, kind of cartoonist, does children's books and things like that. I saw his work. I want to give this kid the right credit, man. Pardon me while I do this on the fly. I know we live. There's this artist, man. He's a kind of a lo-fi producer. Um, and I was listening to his joint. So I like lo-fi instrumentals and all that. Hmm. I was listening to some of his music. He came on like a shuffle and his cover art was so bananas. And I was like, yo, who did this? And I looked him up and I and then I found the cover. His name is Kupla, K-U-P-L-A. Um, yeah, I think he's from like the Netherlands or Poland or something like that. But his cover art was so crazy on this album. And I was like, yo, who did that? And I just started, I went on a Google hunt and I found dude, his name was Matt Rockefeller. And um, I reached out and I sent him the picture that I took of my phone of just the building. And then I described my son and I and what I wanted us doing, like, yo, pointing up and me holding his hand and, he said, all right, give me two weeks. And in two weeks, he sent that back. And I was like, yep, we're done. <laughs> like, <laughs> PayPal, we're done. Like, that's it. It wasn't no edits. It wasn't no back and forth. He was like, all right, work. Give me, give me about two weeks. I got you. Boom. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, so it was cool. Like, you know, COVID did a lot of horrible things, man. But that's one of the things it did that was all right, was that I was going to just take a photo in front of it. And I think it still would have been strong. It would have been like, yo, this is crazy sky with his son in front of Bill. But I think seeing it as a painting just hit so much harder because it looks warm like yeah. the blues and, and and the oranges it looks warm you know so i think it hits so much harder as a painting and it could be anybody right it's not right. just you it's just right. the whole it's the whole representation yeah yeah i, I think it was perfect that it, it was um that, that it was a painting so you know you've released a lot of thematic bodies of work over the years from music for my friends to retropolitan to even the the, the bluest note and, you know, we're going to get to the Miles thing because that's that's recurring as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, but what is it about anchoring an album around a central theme that appeals to you? I think it makes it a real album. You know, too many times in this generation of music, whether it's hip hop, R&B, whatever, 
we just throw a bunch of songs together and call it an album. And I think as listeners, we're trained to be okay with that. And that's not okay. You know what I mean? Like, it's not okay. Even if the music is going to be all about partying and going out, at least that's the theme. The theme is, okay, this is going to be your soundtrack for the weekend. You out of work. You're just going to play this over and over and over. You know, I talk about Mace a lot in my music. I love Mace. Like, people would be surprised. Mace is part of the reason why I write the way I write, because I feel like he taught me how to write. You know, before becoming a Mace fan, I was the kid in the lunchroom to spit 60 bars nonstop. Or I would write a verse, and it'll be such a weird number of bars. It would be like a 22-bar verse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it would just be like just going until I felt like I said all I wanted to say. And just listening to Mace gave me structure, it made me calm down instead of like attacking you at the lunch table every day at 14 years old. It showed me how to calm down, how to scale back, how to touch into different things. I learned a ton from Mace. And um, I use that as an example because you listen to Mace album. Yeah, there's a theme to it. It's just feel good, get money, be fly, celebrate. That's a theme. Whether you agree with that theme or not, or you feel like it's too much of that everywhere else. That's the theme. You know, he didn't say, I'm going to do this record about my moms. Then I'm going to do this record about Black Power. Then I'm going to do this record about Chris Style. Nah, he, he had a theme. Like, I'm the music you go to when you want to feel good. You with your lady. Or if you are a lady and you're getting ready for the club, I'm that. That was the theme, you know. So I learned a lot of that. Just, you know, albums should be themed. You look at, you know, Marvin Gaye, I Want You, which is one of my favorites ever. You know, um, all the Curtis Mayfield stuff. You know, you look at Gil Scott Heron revolution will not be televised and pieces of a man and all that's like they're all themes mm-hmm. you know and and that's the way a full album should be it should be cohesive and a to z and everything should hold hands together so i i gotta do it that way you know as far as the guest list this album utilizes uh singers musicians a dj was there a conscious decision not to be about a lot of guest mcs on this one absolutely i felt like if you didn't live on my block, how could you rhyme on this album with me about it? You know, because like, if you look at Retropolitan, Retropolitan is a theme. It's about New York, but New York in the sense of hip hop and our sound kind of being lost. You know, that's what Retropolitan really is. The city sound in the way it's supposed to. So I was able to go and get Griselda and, you know, Styles P and Elzai and, you know, all those guys on records because it was about the sound of New York and there's joints where we just, rhyming going crazy which is a new york aesthetic so that was fine but on this one i'm literally talking about gentrification cultural appropriation neighborhoods where we live our art and the things that we create being taken from us and being repurposed and all that if you wasn't a part of that with me if you didn't experience what this block looked like before versus now it don't make sense for me to go call so-and-so to get on that record at that point i'm just reaching and i wasn't going to do that so it was on purpose that there was no rappers I was supposed to be a trap rap, trap rapper is is really probably my favorite song on the album. Uh, Bed Stuy is burning. I go back and forth. Yeah. Um, did something prompt this record to be made in 2021 for you? Yeah. Um, I tell a story. I've been telling the story a lot lately. Um, so one of my men's one of my men's uh, came home from jail last year, and I talk about him on Rich Rhetoric when I was like, you know. Um, my man caught a bad one, son. Lawyers was fighting. He bit it, came home and called me while I was writing, reunited, like the best song on the second woo shit. So like I was in the middle of writing Rich Rhetoric and my man called me and was like, yo, I just got out the joint, son. I just got out. Boom, boom, boom. I was like, oh, word, that's what up. Congrats, you home, whatever, whatever. So that's why I wrote that in Rich Rhetoric. But that same friend 
he calls me like a month later and he was like, yo, you know, I've been home about a month, boom, boom. I'm trying to get into rap shit. You know, you're the only one I know that's in the rap shit for real, for real. And, you know, we grew up together. We known each other since teenagers, whatever, whatever. And um, he was like, yo, man, I got these young boys and they doing the drill shit. They doing the New York drill shit. And I was like, okay, word. He was like, yeah, I'm trying to fuck with some DJs and, you know, get with some producers and really just build this thing. You know, I got some money to dump into them. I'm trying to keep it clean. He was like, I know you do. He literally, he said, I know you do the backpack skateboard Joey badass type shit. But if you got any, any, any direction on how I could swing this, let me know. And I laughed. I was like, bro, I never made a skateboard record in my life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I make records about us. I made rec- I made a record about your house, Steel's apartment. That was about this same friend's house. Like, I used to be at his house every day, and he was cutting crack while I was playing NBA Live 96. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? So we laughed, and he was like, nah, nah, you know, but you be doing the, the, the lyrical, you know, you be doing the other shit as opposed to the shit, you know, that, that, that's, you know, mainstream. And he was, you know, he loves my music. So it wasn't a knock and I didn't take it that way. I just jabbed him a little bit because I saw the opening. But um, what he was trying to say was, I know you don't do this kind of mainstream trappy drill shit. You do the other shit, the real shit. But help me out if you can with some direction on who to get with in the industry. So anyway, long story short, um, man, I, when I hung up the phone, that conversation just resonated with me so much. And it's so much like split in the middle of like this and that when it's not really like that. You know, you hear about the quote unquote mainstream rappers listening to underground rappers all the time and vice versa. You know, everybody came out the woodworks when MF Doom died and when Dilla died. You know what I'm saying? Like heads come out the woodworks and you'd be like, whoa, hold up. Like Drake knows about Doom and Dilla and like, you know what I'm saying? Like all that stuff starts happening. And it's a testament to, yeah, it's not as black and white and cut and dry as you've seen. And then it turned into me being like, if I follow the calling of the way I grew up and the guys I grew up around, like that guy who is in and out of the joint and doing his thing and whatever, whatever, my music would definitely be on that type of time. I wouldn't be making records with jazz influences and, you know, records with some of the guys that I work with and all the history with Ninth and all that. I would have never even pursued all that stuff if I followed the calling of the neighborhood I grew up in. But it just so happened I was listening to, the locks and and DMX and Beanie Siegel and Jay, but then I was also listening to Slum Bill, and I was listening to Common, and I was listening to Black Star, and I was the only one in my neighborhood listening to both. It was one or the other, and most of it was Siegel, Jay, you know, the locks, all that stuff, you know, Fab, and I loved all that, but I was the only one listening to both, and that's why I make the music the way I make it, you know. So that's what that record is, and then at the end. When I did the first half of the record, I was like, man, if I say this, I was supposed to be a trap rapper. People are going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's how you feel. Yeah. So I had to prove it. So I was like, let me show you I could have been a trap rapper. So that's what the little the flip at the end is about, just to show people I could really do this if I wanted to, because I grew up in this type of environment and in this world. I would have more than enough to talk about on that side as well. Yeah, it reminds me of when most deaf went like straight punk on black on both sides. Right. You know, at the end to show you. And, you know, I think you're alluding to it, but I want to ask you, I mean, do you feel that there's a double standard in hip hop where we as heads, you know, praise, you know, trap rappers or drill rappers or, or gangster rappers for spitting, spitting, but we give our MCs a hard time when they try to step out of their boxes that we put them in? Totally. And it's really, it's really the fans who do it, but they're doing it with the best intentions. And that's what makes the gray area so great. You know, like that's what makes it so cloudy because the fans do this 
super divide. But they're doing it because they think they're holding it down for us. Like, nah, man, don't listen to don't listen to Migos. You got to listen to Sky Zoo, you know. So they're they're doing it to support me, and I appreciate that. But my thing is like, Migos is dope. I'm not mad at Migos. Like, I like Migos. And when you really listen to them, Migos be rhyming. You know what I mean? Like, they don't really take a bar off. It may not be the content that you want, but they be going for it. Are they like, you know, gonna Eric B and Rock him? You nah, but. They don't, they don't really take a line off. Like they, it's just the beats and the flow, the da 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 So you got to catch it a certain way. And you're like, oh, they ain't saying nothing. Nah, Migos be saying something, you know? So that's just an example of, you know, um, it shouldn't be so cut and dry, man. Like I remember the days of like hearing stories about NWA, Kid and Play, Big Daddy Kane, BDP, you know, uh, Tribe Core Quest all on tour, like on one stage together. You know what I mean? Like, that's what that's the equivalent of like me and Migos and Future and uh you know Mickey Fax and Lupe and like all of us on one show together. That's the way it should be. Yeah, we literally just had this conversation in our last episode as we were making the list of you know the top ten yeah. albums of twenty twenty one because Jake and I listen to everything. You know, part of his research and studying, but part of it's just taste. You know, when I started AFH. There was a ton of Drake. There was, you know, a lot of Nicki and, you know, people like that. And I've been banging that Culture 3 Migos album, too. So yeah. you're right. It's interesting. We actually asked the, 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 the audience if we were narrowing things too much because maybe we're making assumptions about them, too. You know, so, yeah. so that's really yeah. interesting. So on that same song, you said, is that true that someone told you to uh, kind of pull back and slow down your output? Yeah, yeah. Somebody I was writing for, um, but he was saying it in a way, not on some, like, he was saying it like, yo, yo, you be giving people too much for free. That's literally what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And it's somebody huge out of this world. And, you know, one of those type of guys that I'm, I'm honored to write for. And he was like, yo, you, yo, you so, it was like a compliment. It was like, yo, you so crazy, bro. Like, it's just so crazy. Like you be giving people, you could give people half that and they still would go crazy. Like that was the point he was trying to make, yeah. you know, like you could give people a half, of the entendres and this and that that you be given and they they would still lose their mind like you could work half as hard and they would still go crazy you know and my response was just like yo i appreciate it man but like i'm here to i'm here to really knock things out the park whether you get it you know whether these people get it now or later i'm here to knock it out the park and i don't want to give nobody no excuse or no reason to ever think i was slacking or slipping or wasn't going for it the way i need to go for it and the way i always go for it so um you know, that that's what that was. And at the end of it, he was like, you know what, well, yo, you're absolutely right, because you don't run out anyway. It ain't like you break your brain for three days to write a, a, a crazy song, and then now you tapped out for a week. Like, And then we just got back to work. But it was just a cool, ca- uh, casual conversation about writing and hip-hop. And he was just like, yo, your shit's so crazy, man. You could give them half that, and they still wouldn't be able to catch it. So he really was bigging me up, you know? Well, so on the flip side, is that true on, on Soft Eyes where you talk about having a conversation with, with Fonte and him yeah. talking you out of retiring? You, you were thinking about that? Yeah, yeah, that happened. Um, I think it was like right before COVID. So like a little like a, a little over a year ago, um, I just text him one day like, yo, bro, you free? Like, you know, we ain't catch up in a minute. You free? He was like, yeah, yeah, I'm free. Give me a call. And I called him, man, and we wound up on the phone for like three hours. And uh, it was about a bunch of things. It wasn't like a three hour conversation about yo, Scott, don't, don't do it. And it wasn't like that, but it came up in it. You know, we were just talking about music and life and family and all different types of things. And um, I mentioned it and I was just like, yo, man, I think I'm gonna tap out. I think I'm gonna really tap out. It's been on my mind a lot lately. And he was like, why? 
we started talking about it. I started talking about the industry and all that. And he was like, man, you bugging. He was like, yo, don't tap out. Like, he was like, yo, like, nah, man. Like, he was like, don't, don't let them tell you when to go, bro. Like, you go when you want. You know what I mean? Like, you bugging. Don't let them go when you want. You out here, you chilling. You one of them guys out here. It's a lot of people out here running around, you know, doing their thing that came out after you. You know what I mean? And he was like, yo, that that's that's all you. Like, he was like, yo, don't. Don't don't let them tell you when to leave them being like the media and the game and the industry and the business. And, you know, and I was like, yeah, you got a point, you know, and that's what that, that part of the conversation may have been like 15, 20 minutes. But we was on the phone for like three hours just talking about a bunch of stuff. But, yeah, that's what happened. You feeling underappreciated, overlooked? What, what, what was it? Um, just the way the industry works, man. I mean, I always feel underrated. I think that's been the tagline of my career since day mm-hmm. one. If you search my name, the number one word that comes up with it most commonly is underrated. Mm. Yo, he's so underrated. He's so underrated. He's so underrated. So I'm, I'm used to that. It, it doesn't, you know, it, I don't sleep on it. I'm cool, you know, because I do have a lot to show for my career, you know, from my family to, you know, my crib to, you know, whatever, like being able to live the way I want. Thank God the pandemic didn't affect us financially at all, mm. you know, so like things like that. So when you can say all those things and you're doing that off of your art, you already won. You already made it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I got to make records and then I got to go figure out, you know, oh, I got to get this job on the side. Like I've had a job since 2006 and that's a super blessing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's um, once you're doing that off of your art, you're already rich in that regard. You already made it, you know, so, so anything else is just a blessing on top. But I, yeah, I definitely feel underrated all the time because there's so much stuff, even when people point stuff out, there's so much stuff they don't point out. And I'm like, oh, you didn't get that. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. But you'll get it later, you know? Yeah. So that's why I said in free jewelry, because even when you say you get it, there's usually a layer missing. Like, even when you say you get it, yeah. there's more you didn't get. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. You'll get it later. But don't say I'm not dope because you didn't get it. If you got everything and then you say I'm not dope, either you're an idiot or it's like, whatever, man. Like, all right, cool. You got that. But like, don't ever look at me like I'm not one of the greats. And I'm just being humbly honest. Like, don't look at me like I'm not one of the greats of this generation and this era. And there's so much stuff you didn't get. And you're like, nah, nah, I didn't. Bro, look how much stuff you didn't get. It's like getting a meal and you had like a bite. And you're like, oh, nah, nah. yo, there's a whole meal in front of you that you didn't like, you didn't even taste. Like, you didn't even digest it. To, like, get out of here. You know what I mean? So. Sure. You know, that that that's what that what that all comes down to. It was more so just about just the way the industry was moving at the time. And I just wasn't a fan of it. You know, I think having a son has made me so. I don't want to say anti, but I guess that's the only word like anti industry. Hmm. Like, I really don't care anymore. You know what I mean? About like being at every event and being on every list. Like I used to be like, Yo, I got to get on this website. I got to get on that website. I'm like, I don't really care, man. I got to get my son ready. <laughs> and like, we got to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Like, I don't really care. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like my son wants to go to Chuck E. Cheese right now. He doesn't care about <laughs> me not being on so-and-so site. He's freaking if we don't leave in five minutes. I got to go. Like, yeah. of course, you want those things because you want to be appreciated in your art. But I think before I was more so like, I wasn't gunning for those things. I wasn't like, well, I'll do whatever to be on these sites and be on these lists. And I'll shuck and jive and dance. I've never been that type. But, you know, in the game, you got to go to, before COVID, you got to go to every event, you got to go to every joint. You know, me and you probably met at some event, some BT yeah. thing or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's just part of the grind. And that's fine. Like, that comes with the work. It's more than just being in the studio. You got to go, 
you know, to this event and shake hands with these people and so-and-so liquor is having this event and so-and-so clothing line is having that. You might do four events in one night in New York. You know what I mean? Like you got to do, you got to really be out there on the grind and you, you got to really be, once I had a son, I was like, I don't really care to be out there like that no more. Like I'm just going to make the music, put it out, tour and whatever happens, happens. You know what I mean? Like, cause all that other time when I'm at events and stuff, I'm at the crib with my kid. You know what I mean? Like, and, you know, whether I wanted to that night or not, I don't have a choice. Like, cause he's, he's ready. He's watching Daniel Tiger and he's coloring and he's running around trying to play the trumpet and he's jumping off the couch like a wrestler and I'm trying to stop him before he breaks something. So like, I really don't care about going to some event. You know what I mean? So it made me a little anti-industry having a son, which I love. I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. You know? Yeah. You know, um, that bar on, on Free Jewels made me think of Jay, because I can go back and listen to Reasonable Doubt and still catch new jewels. You know, I've probably yep. heard the album a thousand times. Absolutely. And your music is very much like that. You know, part of the prep that I do is I'll listen to the album several times, uh, you know, music, cadence, you know, lyrics, all that stuff. But then I'll go and I'll read through all the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one thing to hear your, your words. It's another thing to read them. It's like a whole different level. It's insane. Thank you. Now, one of the things I caught was, you know, a bunch of references to Kind of Blue on this album. You know, obviously you had the, the, the whole project that was inspired by it. Your son is named Miles. Mm-hmm. You know, so can you talk about Miles Davis and the influence he's had on you musically, what he's meant to you? Uh, Miles is everything, everything. Um, my favorite musician, you know, uh, one of the greatest albums ever, Kind of Blue, along with all the other stuff in his catalog. But, you know, like Kind of Blue is just so earth shattering and groundbreaking and just what he was able to do. It's just music that I never get tired of and I never will. Like I listen to Miles Davis every single day, seven days a week. Oh, you wow. Know? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Something from Miles every day. I listen to more jazz than hip hop. And it's been like that for about seven, eight years now. You know, I, if you look at what I'm playing in my Jeep or what I'm playing at the house, it's jazz. It's a little bit of hip hop because I'm in hip hop and I love hip hop and I love lyricism and spitters and the culture of it. And, yo, we said, what? Oh, oh, break that. Oh, that mean this, that mean that. And, you know, catching all that. But I'm a jazz head. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm truly a jazz head. And um, just how innovative he was, how he would always switch to something new. And he had the luxury of being able to do so and whatever happens, happens. He was very successful early on. So financially, he was able to have that flexibility of, all right, I'm going to go make a rock-infused jazz album. Bitches brew. You know what I mean? And whatever happens, happens. All right, I'm going to go make a funk-infused jazz album on the corner. Whatever happens, happens. You know what I mean? So, like, that comfort and flexibility of being able to just continue to reinvent himself while still being who he was was just so amazing to me, you know? And and I'm 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 a fan of all of it, but I'm, I'm about the, the stuff in the 50s and 60s. Like, mm. that's my stuff. The stuff where my pops and moms wasn't even born yet. Like, that stuff. 57 58 59 like that stuff is like oh my god like that's the stuff i listen to every day hmm. that's he was so also dope. an activist too yes you know Say that again. he was also an activist too absolutely you know? absolutely yeah yeah absolutely. i always i always trip over the fact that easy mo b produced his last album the coolest that, thing ever yeah <laughs> and then and then mo b kept miles's studio running in times square for all those years i went up there one time and I learned that as I'm sitting in the room and Moby was like, yeah, this is Miles's room. And I haven't touched that other room over there since he was alive. And like, you know, I'm not somebody that trips over ghosts and things like that. 
but you can feel the aura of a certain room when you hear something like that, you know? That's amazing. That That's amazing. And you know, Mobius from the neighborhood, Mobius yeah. from Lafayette Gardens. That's yeah. so, He's from like 10 minutes walking. away from St. James, you know what I mean? Like, Sam walking, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yep. That's dope. So on, on Rich Rhetoric, you said, when they're arms deep and O's like Vince Sanity. Mm-hmm. I just got to celebrate that bar. On the same <laughs> song, you know, on the same song, you say cash is part of how we knew shit. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think money talk in hip-hop is just materialism but sometimes it's deeper than that can you expand on what money taught us and, and why money is so important to folks coming up I mean it drives everything regardless of neighborhood background you know race gender whatever it drives everything just in this world that's just the world we live in that's the way the world was built many many moons ago you know so it's so layered. It's probably the most layered thing in the world is money and religion. You know, um, it's so layered and, and what it means and things that come from it, the good and the bad and what's worth it and what isn't. And, you know, I speak about money a lot in my music. You know, I think people may not catch the depths of it because I'm quote unquote underground backpack, but I speak about money a lot in my music. You know, I speak about money as much as Amigos or a Jeezy or somebody, or, you know what I mean? Like, but I just speak about it on a different level because it literally runs everything. Like all these guys that are quote unquote backpackers and, you know, power to the people and all that. If that PayPal don't come through, they not coming. They're not showing up <laughs> I mean, like straight up and down. Like if that, if you hit them about a show and that deposit ain't there, they're not coming regardless of how much, you know, the people and celebrating, it's just what it is. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just a reality and it is what it is, but um, you know, like you said on, on Rich Rhetoric, you know, cash is part of how we knew shit. We learned so much from that as kids. You know, you learn like what's important and what's not to young eyes in the neighborhood. And then you grow up learning later on, were those things really worth it or not? Were those things really as important as we were taught they were? And that all depends on your upbringing and who you were around and how you perceive it and what you learn along the way and how you grow. Mm-hmm. You know, because you grow up thinking, yo, if I don't got these Jordans and I don't got this and I don't got that, yo, man, I'm I'm a nobody. Like, literally, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm a nobody, you know, but um, and then you grow up, you feel that way when you 13, 14. And then when you grow up, some people still in the hood feel that way, which is why they don't get to leave the hood. You know, I know people that live in the projects, Gucci slides, Louis belts, people I know, you know, chicks with Gucci and Louie and Fendi and Balenciagas and, and they live on the 12th, 15th floor in the projects. You know what I mean? Like, and then I know people who look like they got dressed out of Walmart and their house is like mine, if not crazier. Mm-hmm. Then you start to think about what's worth it. You know, like what, where we at? You know, and, and uh, that's a super New York thing. You know, New York is all about what you look like, like what mm-hmm. you got on. Not what you look like in the sense of like beauty, like being in shape. And you know, you go to LA and everybody got to be in shape and look like a model and superstar. New York, you could be chubby, overweight, acne, whatever. But if you dressed and your phone book is on fire, you know everybody, that's it. You know, New York is about why are you important, you know, mm. and what you're wearing. That's New York, straight up and down, you know. So um, we grow up like that. You know, we, we grow up on that. And it's on the people around you and, and, and what you're surrounded by that helps to change and grow you out of that, if anything. I still care. Like, I still wear all that stuff but only because i can afford it if i couldn't afford it it will be whatever i have on a pair of 30 dollar chucks and keep it moving like it just so happens thank god i can afford all that stuff but it doesn't make me that stuff never made me the problem is that stuff makes a lot of us 
Yeah. And you mm-hmm. see it all over the gram. You see it all over Twitter. You see that stuff makes a lot of us, you know, and like what money taught us, like you said, on that other record. You know, there's a lot of there, there's definitely a lot of money talking hip hop and post pandemic. You hear a lot of bars about stimmies, right? Stimmy che- stimulus checks. But, you know, you you flip it you know, to your point about going deeper on it and on something to believe in. You talk about inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you can you expand on that? Yeah. Um, you mean when I was talking about the stimulus check in the beginning or just at the end when I was talking about the about inflation? Because that's, yeah. that's the part that people aren't, aren't connecting, right? This mm-hmm. money is coming from somewhere, right. you know, but it's yeah. printed, you know, it's not like, yeah. real, it's not real, it's not real bars, like, you know. Right. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, man. And, you know, they, they give it to us so that we can give it right back. Yeah. You know, they, they give us all this money so, so that we can just give it right back. Everybody I knew that was getting stimulus checks was just going crazy. Yeah, you know I mean, like, yeah, we buying this, we buying that, we get, you know what I mean? We they give it to it. It's just a flip. This, you know, it's it's a loop. Like, here you go, boom. It's a, you know what I'm saying? And and we just give it right back. And then, you know, with the whole inflation thing, more so like with gentrification. I really was talking about that with like gentrification and you know, um, the neighborhood and the prices going up on everything. And 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 them telling you, let's say you you've been living in this building, you've been living in this brownstone, you own it forever passed down generations you're like a 50 60 year old you know older black woman or man whatever whatever and they've been telling you like yo all these changes in the neighborhood is worth it it's worth it because your property is going to go up and this and this and this and then they're just moving you out to flip that from what they got for you for 10 times more they're taking you out of your home they're leaving you stranded you know or they're not even offering you anything if you don't own it they're just kicking you out mm-hmm. you know they li- you've been paying rent forever in this building they're just kicking you out and they're like but the neighborhood is changing so many good things are happening and you're going to be able to enjoy it and as soon as the neighborhood really really changes and the trash is picked up on time and the police come in 2.2 seconds and you know everything is clean and there's cameras everywhere and there's flower shops and there's and there's you know coffee shops and wineries and instead of corner stores and chinese stores and, and liquor stores now you can't enjoy it because you got to go because we got to go sell it to this couple that just moved in from idaho or Minnesota, or but they told you all this was worth it. They told you all these changes worth it because you're going to be be able to enjoy it, and now you can't, you know. And and that's something we don't understand gentrification and property and all that stuff in the hood. We really don't. And that's what I wanted this record to do, you know. On um, plugs and connections, and I had the line. I said, "Brownstone owner offered my pops to buy the building. He was 34, a little too young to find that appealing." Yeah. Now he sit behind me and he reflect on what he left. And now he own a restaurant in Atlanta. So no regrets, but won't forget what might have been. Clientele piling in and nobody resembles, no, nobody resembling nobody we out here with. So like that whole little six, eight bars, that really happened. You know, um, the dude who owned uh, Brownstone on St. James, older white fellow, like a grandfather age type dude. He offered my pops to buy the building. My pops was 34. I was 14. You know, he offered my pops that and my pops didn't really understand it. So he was like, nah, nah, you know, I don't know if I can afford it. I don't know. And he was trying to walk him into it. Like, I'm telling you, like, all right, if, if you don't buy them, I have to find somebody else. But you might want to think about it because he liked my dad. You know, he, he liked my dad, thought he was a good guy. And he was like, yo, nah, I don't know. I don't know. And he regrets it to this day. And my pops is doing fine. Got all kind of money. He got restaurant, this, that and the third. But he had to move to get that. He had to move to Atlanta because nobody told him, you know, he didn't have nobody around to tell him, yo, go get that. I know you're only 34 and it's a brownstone and it's responsibility, but go get that. Trust me, it's going to be worth it. He didn't know. 
So that's what plugs and connections is about. Like the title, having those plugs and connections, meaning having those people to tell you and put you on to what this is about. That's why I titled it that. Like mm-hmm. having those people to tell you, yo, do this. Yo, don't do that. He didn't have that. Now I got him and he tells me all the stuff that nobody told him. So he just goes, yo, Scott, do this, do that, do this. Don't do this, don't do that. But he didn't have nobody to tell him that. You know, his father died when he was a little kid. So he didn't have nobody to give him that wisdom. So that's what Plugs and Connections is about. That story really happened. So moving forward, he don't have as much regret because he's like, well, I'm doing fine. I got a restaurant. I got a house. I got a building. I got cars, bins, whatever. But damn, what if I could have did it in New York? That St. James Brownstone is probably five M's right now. You know what I mean? Like he looks at it like that. Like, damn. So he'll sit down and drink a Heineken and talk to me about it and reflect on it and shoulda, coulda, woulda. But at the end of the day, he's okay. So it's like, I'm in Atlanta and I was able to do it. So no regrets, you know, but he still thinks what could have been, you know? That's heavy, man. Uh, About, about five or six years ago, I interviewed Mike Toll for Ambrosia for Heads, who's the founder of of Mellow Music Group. And our headline for the story compared, compared Mellow to Raucous Records. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you talked about those mixtape, you know, free mixtape days in your career you had some connection at some point to like the last days of ruckus, like the ruckus 50 or something. Is that correct? No, I was, I was connected to fat beats. I wasn't really connected to ruckus, but I, I was connected to fat beats. Okay. Dope. And shout out to fat beats, but I, I look at it I look at mellow and what they've done. And obviously, you know, there's been all of the projects that Apollo Brown has done with different, you know, veteran great MCs. And I look at you and you've built your own company, first generation rich, and you've got this long history of working with different people, but you found an incredible stride in recent years in dealing with Mellow. Do you see a comparison, just as a hip-hop fan, as a, as a hip-hop head, of those two labels in, you know, 20 years apart? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, the thing about Mike, um, he's told me this, too. He just signs what he likes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't think he really worries about sales. Now, of course, as a business owner, a label guy, you got a lot of overhead, a lot of things going on. So, of course, you want to sell as many records as possible. You want to make as much money as possible. You want to put yourself in a position to get all that. But he really just signs what he likes. Hmm. And he's quick to be like, yeah, you know, regardless of if so-and-so goes X amount, whatever or not, I like it. So I'm signing it. I got the power to put this guy's music out. I think it's great. I'm put it out. And I think that's the beauty of it, because if you talk about creativity and artistic you know control and and freedom you want somebody like that that's like i like it let's put it out Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean like that's what you want so that i I totally see the similarities where he just puts out what he wants and i'm sure that's what raucous was on like yo we just signing what we think is dope regardless of well you know this guy may have a hard time selling two hundred fifty thousand records the first week back then or whatever it is like yo we just it's dope you know it's dope and people should hear it so we're gonna put it out so, you know, you know, so I know you put out music since the murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Bodega Flowers sounds like it was inspired by the movement. Is that is that one that you had on to for a minute? hundred percent. Yeah. It, it, that record is really just about giving us our respect and our flowers and our appreciation while we're here. The way you do, you, you take everything from us. You love our soul food. You love our hip hop. You love our fashion. You're even starting to love our weaves, you know? You love all of it. Love us. Love us the same way you love what we bring to the table. You can't love the food but not love the chef, right? You know what I mean? So, like, 
love us the same way. That's it. Before we force you to. And if we force you to, it's going to be a rebellion like it's been back in the day. You've seen it, the movements in the 60s. You've seen the riots. You've seen that in the 90s. Like, just love us and appreciate us the same way. And it really was about, like, cancel culture and how we really got to be careful with that. And and one of my favorite moments on the record, a few people pointed it out, but, you know, when I, I talked about the race draft, like Dave Chappelle, you know, your, your face mask, sneak off, Meek race Moore. draft, recall, yeah. Yeah. give us Larry David and y'all <laughs> yeah. can take back Shamik Moore. Yeah. But then at the end I said, and I think people were so caught up in that, like, yeah, because Shamik Moore was bugging when he said the Rosa Parks thing, which is what spawned the line. Yeah. And Larry David is pretty great. Yeah, I'll take Larry David. Like, I love Larry David. I'm a huge Seinfeld, Kirby enthusiasm guy. So I'm like, yeah, I'll take. But the reason why I wrote the line like that, the very next line, I said, or maybe I'll just school him some, get the retooling son. So I'm like, hold up, before we cancel him, let's help him out. Like, that's what I'm trying to say in that whole little four bars right there. Like, before, yeah, it's quick to be like, yo, we got to cancel son. You heard what he said about Rosa Parks and blah, blah, blah. Okay, but hold up. What if we just educate him a little bit? Everybody don't know everything out the gate. That's unfair. You know, what if we educate this kid before we trade him for Larry David? Like, what if we educate this kid? He's a young kid. He's a great actor. Why don't we educate him a little bit and let him know the importance of what he's saying and what he knows versus what he doesn't know? And then from there, if he don't change his tune, then you could trade him and get rid of him for Larry David. But let's fix it before we just cancel everything. And that's what I was saying in that line. And then the flip was, you know, when I talked about his role in Spider-Man as Miles Morales, you know, get the retooling son, word to Miles Morales, ignoring his father badges. So I'm saying the irony of the character you were playing, he knew what it was. He hated the fact that his father was a cop. Like Miles Morales hated that. He knew what it was. So the character you're playing gets it, but you in real life don't get it. Let's fix that. And that was just wordplay and entendre stuff with the Miles Morales thing. But it's ironic. Like the character you're playing totally gets it, but you kind of don't. All right, let's fix that. You know, that's all that was. Yeah, no, that was dope. And you talk Thank about how people, you know, love the things we do and say and how we, you know, wear our clothes and stuff like that, but don't love us. Yeah. Culture ish, you talk about Supreme and friends, you know, becoming billion dollar franchises of the culture that we built, you mm-hmm. know, and borrowing from it or 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 straight jacking it. You know, what yeah. can we do to better capture the wealth that we're generating? We got to have more control. We, we, we got to really start controlling our own thing, man. Um, if somebody, if a black line, a, a black designer was to start a black clothing line doing similar things that Supreme does or the exact same thing that Supreme does, would, would we as, as black folks support it? Would we as within hip hop support it? And in and, and our culture, would we support it? You know, the same thing where, you guys in the media, so you get this all the time. And, and Reggie, this kind of being, you know, your brainchild, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm wrong, Jake, I apologize. Um, yeah, but sure. you're a guy who reaches out to people to get interviews and stories and things like that. And I know artists who, if one of these other publications and sites and whatever, they'll trip, trip over themselves backwards to get a sit down. You know what I'm saying? But somebody like you, and I'm sure you get everybody you want, but somebody who may be in a similar position as you with a site that's homegrown and you're building it and it's doing great things and it's kind of from the ground up. You're not latched on to this and this and this. You're not going for the headline of, of TMZ-ish hip-hop type shit. They may front on somebody trying to do something similar to you. You know, they may front like, nah, I don't know. But let one of these other guys who covers all that, oh, they're going to jump over everything to do that. But then 
the moment something happens or looks like something's happening to them, that same site or that same publication is going to dead them and they're going to talk about them and they're going to drag them through the mud where somebody like you ain't going to do that. You're going to want to get to the bottom of it and try to figure it out and help them get where they got to get unless they really deserve to be dragged like that. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm saying with all that. Like we got to, we got to start reaching back and tapping back and doing our own thing, man. Like we, it's not a, a knock against those in those other positions, but we also got to support what we're doing and come up with our own thing, you know, like, all these websites and magazines. So we start our own, start your own, you know what I mean? And, and, and support all that. That's why like when interviews, like I literally don't turn down an interview, man. Like I've had people hit me like, yo, I just started a podcast last week. You know, can I sit down with you, man? I love your album. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Hmm. Now it sucks because I'm doing like 10 zooms a day. (laughs) (laughs) Like, but you know, other than that, I'm down, I'm down, man. Cause that, that dude or that girl who just started this podcast in her crib, that thing may be the next fader in two years or the next, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, Yo, so I, I appreciate it all. I can, I can testify to that as, as being real. Like I said, you know, 2010, like you didn't know who I was when we right. were um, talking back in, in backstage at A3C. I purposely was just repping myself as Reggie from right. Ambrosia for Heads. It wasn't until later on, you're like, oh shit, you know, like the whole BET thing, but like right. you were, you were the same with me no matter what, it didn't matter exactly. to you. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. I always been on that. Like, yeah. oh, you're interested in my story? Cool. Let's kick it. Yeah. Now, if you want to, if, if somebody wanted to, int- you know, wanted to interview me about some nonsense, I'm not going to do it. Or they trying to be fun, I'm not going to do it. But anybody with pure intentions, yeah, let's do it. Because the if the day comes where somebody doesn't want to sit down and interview you, that's when you have a problem. Yeah. Having too many interviews is not the problem. Not having enough is the problem. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So I don't turn down interviews. Like, as soon as we're done, I got another one to do tonight. Like I don't turn down interviews. Like I'm with it all. Like, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. You want to hear my story and talk about it? Let's do it. So on Free Jewelry, you got some sharp bars though for those who are covering the culture who aren't really of the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I just feel like, I just feel like a lot of these people pick and choose and dictate what's what. And then they get looked at as, the crown holders and, 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 and the, the almighty for picking this and not picking that and having this. And it's like, wait a minute, like you don't understand the stuff that you're turning down. Okay. You don't have to cover everything. That's fine. But what's your reasoning for not covering, take me out of it. What's your reasoning for not covering this person or that person, this girl or that guy? Well, you know, the numbers and well, you know, it's just not cool. And Well, what's not cool about it? Everything they doing is hip hop. They're super talented. They're super dope. Good people. They're rocking. You see, they got a fan base. They building. What's the deal? Oh, because so-and-so don't got their arm around them and whatever. But this person that you sweating yourself over and going crazy for, they didn't have an arm over them yesterday. And it might have been me or somebody else's arm that you denying that got that had their arm around them. And now they, you know what I'm saying? So I just, I don't like how some of these outlets have this power to dictate where our thing moves when they're not from us. You know, the example I use all the time, I've been, I've been saying it in every interview, that's like me telling a 75-year-old Italian grandmother she don't know what she's doing making Italian food. The audacity. How could I ever? I could never do that. Even if I'm not a fan of how she spiced that chicken palm and how she made that Alfredo or whatever, just keep it moving. Either enjoy it or don't. But you have no right to say what's real and what's not if you're not from it. You know, I could never tell that woman 
you don't know how to make Italian food. That's not real. What? Like she's from there. Like she was bottling her own sauce for 40 years. Like I could never. That's the most utmost blatant disrespect. I could never. Mm-hmm. So and- I look at it the same way where it's like, yo, what are we doing? Like, don't tell us what's hip hop, what's urban, what's black. I mean, you go to a lot of these, you go to sneakers or you, you go to GOAT or you go to StockX and they'll do like all these shoots for all this hip hop infused clothing and not one model will look like me. And I ain't trying to model, so I'm not looking for them to call me. But not one model will look like me. They all look like something else. But they drape, they fit, they fit it on backwards. You know, they they clothes is huge, and they sitting there looking tough. And it's hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Like, what are we doing? Like, you're selling this whole thing, but you're not using us to help sell it to us. It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't start with the culture, right? Now it's taking yeah. a block too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's everything. You know what I'm saying? So that it, it really, a lot of it was just me being fed up. I was just fed up. I was like, yo, enough is enough. Somebody got to say something. Somebody got to stand tall. It ain't about chopping down one or two people or chopping down those people I mentioned. It's just about putting it on the table of like, yo, we, we got to start really noticing what's going on. Instead of being so hyped about getting this look and that look, we got to really understand the layers behind that. And if it don't go our way, do your own thing, man. Don't let that stop no show. I know people going crazy because they can't get on this site or this magazine or this list or this. So what? Like, but you got all kind of fans. You know what What? What really drives me crazy? And I, I was, I wrote it as a tweet and I saved it as a draft. I figured I'll save it for a, a rainy day. But you'll have artists, large, small, whatever, and they'll get mad love and they won't respond to none of it. But let one person say something negative. Yeah. They on their head. Yeah. Yo, yo, fuck you, son. Blah, 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 blah. Yo, yeah, like 60 people telling you the greatest thing, that you the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Shout them out. Yeah. So that's what I do. Like, I do the opposite. Like, I res- I try to respond to every tweet, which is extremely hard. I try to respond to every comment on the gram, which is extremely hard. And a little bit of one, two percent negative I may get here and there. I don't even respond to it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not worth it. I'm not ignoring these people that just showed me all this love for one person who was like, yeah, I don't really rock with son. For what? But I know people who ignore the love. I mean, people be gushing over them. Yo, your music changed my life. Yo, you're the greatest. I listen to you every day. Boom. And then you look, there's no replies to that. Hmm. Like one person be like, yo, that shit weak, son. Oh, they on it. It's a thread. 20 tweets about this one person. Yeah. Nah. And that's the equivalent of this other thing, like, you know, we'll jump over ourselves to get with these people who don't really care about us being in the room with them until it, it really, really, really benefits them. And they don't care what happens to us or not, because whatever is going to do for them to big them up, cool. You know what I mean? But somebody like you, you care about what happens with me and my career or a Torrey career or a, a Pete Rock career, you know, whatever, like you, you guys genuinely care. And but it'll be guys out here. They don't care if whatever. If I'm hot, if, if Jay-Z signed me tomorrow, I'll be on everything tomorrow. Yeah. But then if something go bad Thursday, oh, that's it. We don't do that no more. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we got to get out of that. We got to get out of that. And we the only culture that does that. We yeah. the only culture that that's, and it's been like that forever. Because we've been looking for validation since four or 500 years ago. Hmm. When they split us up and say, y'all stay in the house, y'all go in the field. You do this, you do that. Yeah, you can have sex with, with, with the master, but, you know, you can't sleep in his bed mm-hmm. or you can't eat at the table with his people, but you can give him some. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we've been looking for validation forever. Validation is the plight of black folk, period. End. 
So that's why it's like that. And we got to, maybe I'm being a broken record. This is stuff Curtis Mayfield and Gil Scott Heron was talking about decades ago, but we ought to start kind of understanding this thing a little more and, and doing something about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you talk about doing something about it in a different light. You know, you have this bridge. I don't think it's the chorus, um, but on bed is Burning, you urge other cities, including the one I live in, don't let this happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think we can do? You know, we being people that value community, that value people of color, you know, mm-hmm. all of that. Oh, you mean like specifically? Okay, yeah, I get that. Um, I mean, if you get where we're coming from, just continue to get it and and try to help others who may not, you know. Um, somebody like you obviously gets it, you know. I, I love the fact that different creeds and different races and, and people, different walks of life enjoy our culture, right? Like, this isn't just for us. Like, we made it, but we want everyone to enjoy it. Same way, you know, you go eat, you know, Greek food. They don't only want Greek people. They want everybody to eat it, you know, like... Italian food, they want everybody, I love Italian, like they want everybody to eat it. So we want everybody to enjoy this thing. It's just enjoy it respectfully. And if you don't like something, you don't like it. You don't have to be a fan of everything. Everything coming out of hip hop is not great. You know what I'm saying? Everything coming out of, you know, urban fashion is not great. You know what I mean? Like, so we can't sit here and lie and say all that, but just enjoy it. And, and if you don't like it, you don't like it. But, you know, as far as the community element, just respecting the community, right? So for example, when I was still living in New York, you may have a situation where like I'm walking my dog, somebody's walking their dog that just moved in the neighborhood less than a year ago and you cross paths and you wave like, how you doing? And they don't look at you. They look at their phone or they look straight ahead or they don't acknowledge you. Why? Because they're looking at me like, yeah, he ain't going to be here in a couple of years. And you know what? They're right. I left. You know what I mean? So like, they're like, you ain't going to be here in a couple of years. We don't have to acknowledge him as being our next door neighbor. And you even like spoke to that on we used to live in Brooklyn, like that exact example, yeah. you addressed it. And I thought that that was so powerful. And as somebody who, you know, is is a is a white skinned f- person that has neighbors of color all around me. And, and I've lived in in my apartment in Philly longer than I've lived anywhere. I, I thought it was a great reminder, your song last year and Reggie and I talked about it, of the difference between a citizen and a colonizer. I don't want the yoga studio on the corner. I like the $4 sandwiches from the spot on the corner. And I go. take pride in spending my money there versus asking you to be like me, whatever my interests are. And I feel like that speaks to your point in terms of criticizing hip hop. You know, when I review a record, I don't want to tell Sky Zoo what I want his record to sound like. I just want to be an amplifier of his voice, whether it's my favorite album he's put out or it's not. You know, Right. And, and you nailed it. And somebody like you, living the way you live and seeing things the way you see it, you nailed it. And you're welcome in the neighborhood. You're, as we say, you welcome to the party. You welcome to the barbecue anytime. Like, you nailed it. You know what I'm saying? That's all we want. It ain't about, yo, they shouldn't be here kicking my... Nah, man, you you nailed it, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you nailed it. You know, I remember when Adrian Grenier used to live down the block on Grand, on Grand Ave, in the hood. You know what I mean? He had the, the dope house right there and... My peoples would be outside getting busy and everybody liked them. You know what I mean? This is Entourage is popping and yeah. everybody like Adrian. It's like, yo, Adrian's man cool. Yeah, yeah, son from Entourage. Yeah, he's man cool. You know what I mean? Like he was he was a citizen. He would hang out, he would, you know, do cool things in the neighborhood and go to the store and get a brew. And it was cool. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he would just walk by like, well, I'm this guy, so I don't got to acknowledge y'all. Nah, he knew, yo, I'm in y'all neighborhood. I found a really great house on this beautiful brownstone block where there's some activities going on, but 
yeah. I'm here. <laughs> hey, I rock with y'all. And my guys who would be outside getting busy be like, oh, no, nah, Adrian, man, cool. Yeah, we, we're not going to let nothing happen to Adrian. He mad cool. You know what I mean? So, like, that's it. That's all it's about, you know? So, um, yeah, and, and the thing, like, walking the dog, the funny thing is I'm looking at it like, you got a $2,000 dog. I got a $2,000 dog. We both walking Yorkies. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are we talking about? Like, yeah. I got a, I don't have a pit bull. I got a Yorkie. I have the, the least hip-hop dog ever. You know what I mean? Like, he think he's a pit bull. I don't know. Reggie and I are right there with you, so. Yeah, I have a Yorkie. You know what I'm saying? So, like, come on. Our dogs cost the same. They might even be related if we go back to it. So, what are we doing? You know what I mean? But that's just what it's turned into because in their minds, they're like, they're going to be out of here in a minute. That corner store is going to be a yoga studio, like you said. That number spot is going to be a winery that, you know, that uh, the Chinese spot or whatever or, or, or the hero spot is going to turn into a coffee shop and they're out of here. And that key food and that met foods is going to turn into uh, a mom and pop whole foods type of spot and they're out of here. And so they're just waiting it out. They, they're really just waiting it out. So that Yorkie is a humble brag. And, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite songs in the album, you know, hands down. Thank and it talks you. about this civil war that we're describing, right, between the people who are moving in and the people who've been there for a minute. Yeah. Um, one of the, the lines that hit me the hardest is you said, well, knowing they got here by playing off our fear. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that, our fear? We fear what we don't understand, just as human beings. Take race out of it. Mm-hmm. Fear what you don't understand. That's the way it, it goes. I mean, Nas said that 20 years ago. People fear what they don't understand, hate what they can't conquer. Like, you know, so they got here by playing off our fears. Like, we're afraid of what we don't get and what we don't understand. So they come into the neighborhood and they buddy up with us and make it seem like they got the right intentions. And then they don't, you know, knowing they got here of our fears. Like, you know, but I didn't, I never been afraid of any of that, of, of, of what I don't know or don't understand Cause I had parents who showed me that and taught me better. And, you know, so I, I never been afraid of any of that. So I'd be more Mookie versus the Chandler's and Ross's like, I'm not with it. Like, you know what I mean? I'm Mookie, y'all Chandler and Ross and all them. I'm not with it. Like you, you, you can't shake me up. I know people who they get intimidated around people who look like Jake in the neighborhood. They just feel like uncomfortable now, you know, like they don't know how to be themselves around, you know, and, and, and that's a perfect way to just say, okay, we're going to take advantage of this situation, whether it's taking over this, this neighborhood, taking over this block, this building, this store, you know, cause they're afraid. There's a fear there. I don't, we just got off the train. I don't know. I don't know. You know I, I know people that feel like that. You know, I know people that won't leave certain neighborhoods and blocks and boroughs because they never been around other types of people like that, you know? So that's a perfect way to take advantage of something is if you know, they're afraid scoop in and bully it, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, you were talking about that feeling of, of lists and, and looking at Miles, your son, and not caring anymore. And I know at other publications I've been involved with in my career, I know there were times where, and I would hear things through the grapevine, like, yo, you know, like, you should have, you, you know, my staff, whatever, we should have given Sky a look. And, and, and you're probably right, you know, and the powers that be were probably right. And it wasn't, certainly wasn't, you know, me or just me stopping you from that. But the one thing I want to say, Sky Zoo, is, what you've accomplished in the last three or four years is remarkable. Like you have always been a top tier MC. That is, you know, that's, that's in the writing, that's in the stars, but like, it seems like there was a moment right before Retropolitan, you know, two, three years before where you just hit a switch and you've gotten into that, that stride where the game has changed for you. 
And maybe it's that part of not caring, but I want to ask you, was there a specific moment where you reached the new level, where you reached this level of, of consciousness, just as an artist, as a man, where everything came out even better? I feel, well, first of all, thank you for everything you said. I appreciate it. And just being candid about knowing some of these spots was like, yeah, we should have gave that to Sky. And a lot of that comes because I never came in with nobody arms around my shoulders. You know, a lot of these people that get these spots and these looks and, you know, you guys know it, especially Jake, you've been at different media publications throughout your career. Well, you know, so-and-so is, and I'm not saying you say this, no. but well, so-and-so is signed to so-and-so or so-and-so is so-and-so artist. So we got to do that. Well, so-and-so is rep by such and such. So we got to do that. I don't have none of that. I don't, I'm not signed to, you know, I, I'm not rock nation this and, and bad boy that or whatever, you know, whatever. I'm just naming stuff. You know what I'm saying? I don't have this person doing my management and PR and I don't none of that. You know what I mean? Like it's me making great music. You want to reach out to me, you hit me directly. So some of these people may feel like, well, we don't really got to do that look because it ain't going to really affect us because there ain't going to be no backlash from, well, Sky signed the CAA or ICM or whoever. So if we don't do that look, we're not going to get the look later with Travis Scott, or we're not going to get the look later with Kid Cudi, or I'm just using names. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never had that. It was just me walking these dogs by myself, representing my people, representing my culture, representing my art. And if I took L's for that within the realm of that, then so be it, because I made music that reflected what I did, and I didn't have to buddy up under nobody. You know, I never had that. Never been crewed up and clicked up. Did it for a minute with Ninth early on, but that was really it. Like, you know, after, after I, that situation ended, it was just me walking these dogs by myself, you know. Um, but just for me, um, and I feel like I got a little off, off topic. I want to circle back to exactly what it was you was asking. I, yeah, I, I, like I, I mean, just like a great athlete, just like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You producer said, that, that switch I know. of right, finding right, right. your stride. I'm sorry. Yeah. So so you said that. So, um. So I was saying all that to just to say I appreciate everything you said. Now moving forward, I feel like I feel like it might have been around music for my friends was when I I really just started, I guess seeing the game a little differently, like seeing the floor differently as a, as a ball player. You know, now you see the court different, you see the plays different, you running it. You know, they say you hit your your prime at like twenty eight, twenty nine in basketball, so it's kind of like that. You know what I mean? Where you know, it's like, I think music for my friends is when I kind of was like, I want to make this record like this. And I always, I mean, if you go back to a dream preferred, it's nothing but storytelling and all that. You go back to the salvation and all that stuff, man. But I think music for my friends, if I had to pinpoint anything, might be the moment where it was like, okay, we're doing this this way. Then the easy truth was right after that. Um, and then Peddler Themes, which was a six song EP just of one okay, this is what this is about. I'm going to take you on this journey. And this is a precursor to the Celebration of Us. And the Celebration of Us was my favorite album of mine up until the new joint. Like, that was where I was like, yo, this is out of control. Like, because what I wanted to do with that was just, I wanted to make the blackest album possible. I wanted to make a record that talked about black people, black pride, black culture, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows. A lot of times people do that and they only talk about the ups. And if they talk about downs, they say, well, you know, it's because of this, this, and this, but we're up, you know, and, and all that's great, but I, I wanted to make it honest at the same time and make the blackest record I could make and really get to why things are the way they are. So I felt like that for a while. I was like, yo, this is, this is the one, you know, and then Retropolitan, of course, 
Um, and, and now we're here, you know, and then uh, in between Milestones and The Bluest Note, those are EPs. And now we're here. So I would say probably around music for my friends is when the snowball effect or the domino effect started to take place. So last question for you, Sky. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to take it back to what you were saying about your pops and that opportunity to, to buy the brownstone and not really having uh, the wisdom is the word you mm -hmm. use to, to capitalize on that. You know, so a lot of us still get our game from hip hop. You know, it's one thing to get news. You can absorb facts and things like that. But the game comes from hip hop for a lot of us. And nowadays we got artists like yourself, Jay, you know, uh, Killer Mike, Master Ace, a lot of people talking about gentrification and the importance of owning property. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, when your pops was coming up, you know, in the 90s, that wasn't happening because rap was still very much a young man's game, you know, and people just weren't thinking on that level. 100%. So do you think this new level of wisdom and hip hop might be able to help prevent the takeover from happening next time someone's looking at a neighborhood and ready to swoop in? I hope so. Like, that's what I hope the record does. I hope somebody's listening to the record and their mother owns a brownstone and they say, hold up. You know, like I hope, or they own the brownstone, but they like, hold up. You know, I, I really, really hope so. I, it's harder with property because it's just so expensive. Mm -hmm. Like to be like, well, let's not, let's not sell the building. We're going to get three mil another way. Like that's hard to walk away from, you know what I mean? Like I get it. Um, but we can definitely do it with our culture. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt. Cause that's free. You can open the computer log on to you know one of these websites where you can build your own site and you can get it going you know if you could build a, a tiktok following and go crazy off that then you can do something to build something that gives back as far as let me take care of my favorite artists these are my artists who aren't getting the light that i want i'm gonna start a, a site i'm gonna start a podcast i'm gonna take a master class on journalism and not just go out there and think i know what i'm doing let me learn how to do it let me learn how to be somewhat of a journalist so, okay i can't do four years in college right now at 30 something years old, but let me take a master class on journalism. Let me get with people like Jake and Reggie and different people that I'm a fan of their site and just kind of learn from them from afar on how to do this. And maybe I could become the next fader. Maybe I could become the next complex, the next ambrosia for heads. Maybe I could become all of that. You know, um, getting the culture back is a little less expensive than getting the neighborhood back, but they'll, they'll play hand in hand, you know, they will play hand in hand. So hopefully, hopefully people hear the record and, and they just go for it. All right. The album is All the Brilliant Things, uh, one of AFH's best 10 of 2021 so far. Thank you. No doubt one of the best of the year. Sky Zoo, we appreciate you, man. Your message, awesome. the way you deliver it, everything. Thank you. Thank you, man. You guys always get Thank it. Hope you, you guys tap in. Jake, we go super way back. Reggie, we go way back. You guys always get it, man. So I appreciate that. That's all I ask for my music. I want people to really take the time to get it and listen to all the lines and all the layers and everything I'm saying. You know, I wrote on the gram the other day. I was like, there's no way you're getting this in the first listen. You're not getting it in the third listen. You're not getting all of it. You'll get some of it, of course. You'll get some of it and be like, yo, this is great. The more you listen to it and the more you read it, like you said, read, you're going to be like, oh, shit, that's what that meant. Yeah. That's what that, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you're like, oh, man, you know, flip A to Z and cruise word to a phase on all love or whichever part that the phase on and then. How that's like four, that's a that's a quadruple right there. You know, like I was breaking that down to somebody the other day, you know, flip A to Z. Yeah. Cruz word to a phase on A Z, Anthony Cruz. His last name is Cruz. So A Z, A to Z, but then A Z also is A Z phase on. 
Cruz were to do a Faison all love, but then Faison love the actor. So it just goes on this ride. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it turns so many different ways and um, stuff like that. You ain't getting that on the first listen, but just listen, keep listening and it'll make sense. And you'll be like, nah, Sky really is that guy. He really, really is that guy. Right. You listen to it. No, none of these top three richest ever. None of Khaled didn't tell you. None of these guys said it. No, none of these guys was there to tell you to like this. It's on you to do the math and be like, yo, this is great. This is great. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's all I ask. No doubt. Spotify, Apple Music, Title, Bandcamp, Bandcamp. every listening to your music. Yeah. Go get everywhere. it. Go everywhere get you it. just named. I'm with it all, man. It's everywhere that you want to get music from. And um, I'm, I'm just excited that people are on it the way they on it. You know, I knew it would be received well, but where it's going, it's crazy. Like yeah. when I started seeing it roll, I was just like, oh, snap. Like they getting it. They really, really getting it. Okay, bet. I didn't know of doing a whole record about gentrification and cultural appropriation with no, you know, no spitters. Like a spitter is a joint where like Eastern Conference All-Stars, you just going. You know what I mean? That's a spitter. There's no spitters on a record. I'm literally spitting on every record because I'm going for it, but it's all story and concept. So there's no spitters. There's no girl songs. There's no record for the club. There's no none of that. It's just a story. And I didn't know if people would be ready for an hour of that type of lecture. And clearly, clearly they are. Heavy rotation. Yeah, Thank man. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Keep talking to Fonte. No more retirement time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I got a few more seasons left, man. I think I got a few more seasons left. You know, we're gonna see how this thing goes. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. Appreciate y'all, man. Peace and love always. You know, I'm here anytime you need. No Likewise. Doubt. All right, y'all. Later.